0: I don't know about you, but we're often told that God is with us when we are experiencing blessing, when our lives are going as we've planned, when we're excelling in sports or academics, the arts, our work, when our family life is smooth, no one is mad with anyone. God is blessing us. While God is certainly with us in those times, He's also with us when our world is falling apart, when hope seems lost. And often, well-meaning Christians don't want to admit that. They somehow think that by admitting or by saying that God is with us even in our when our world is falling apart, that it's diminishing God's power or presence in some way. If we aren't experiencing blessing, a lot of times those Christians will say that God must not be with us. In fact, what we see in our text this morning is that God is with us in our blessing, but more importantly, He's with us when our world is falling apart. And we often get that so wrong. We may know that intellectually or even might verbalize it, and yet in our hearts, we think that something that God must not be with us in the times of trial and trouble. Let's read Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man and was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in with me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as the master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me? His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... The way that you show us in lived body detail <laughs> what is happening in the lives of these people lived so long ago, and yet, Lord, we see in ourselves much, if not all, of what Joseph, his brothers, Jacob they all are wrestling with in their lives. Lord, we pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might be conformed to your word and transformed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we begin our fourth week looking at the life of Joseph, a series that we were calling The Gospel According to Joseph. Last week, we were in Genesis 38 and As has still been joked about this morning, we tackled a very difficult passage of Scripture, Uh, the story of Judah and Tamar. We were in there reminded that our sin or the sin perpetrated against us cannot spoil God's plan. Our sin is not greater than God, just as evil isn't greater than God, neither is our sin. No one is beyond the love and hope of God. And we saw unexpected righteousness like we saw in the life of Tamar. Unexpected righteousness is ours in Jesus for sinners like Judah, for victims like Tamar, and for people like us. In the previous two chapters, we've seen an incredibly dysfunctional family, right? There's no denying that. We've seen great evil and sin perpetrated against one another in this Family, one thing we haven't seen is God, except to tell us that Ur and Onan were evil in God's sight and that God put them to death. That's been the only mention of God in the last two chapters of this story. And if this is your first introduction to the Bible, you might wonder, where is this God that everyone talks about? Where is this good, loving, and all-powerful God? This can't be the family that God has chosen to bless the world because up until this point, all they care about is themselves. These can't be God's people because it would seem that even God doesn't want to be around these people, that He doesn't want to have anything to do with them. And then we come to our text this morning. Joseph, it says, has been taken down to Egypt. He was brought there by the slave traders. He was sold to a guy named Potiphar, who's the officer of Pharaoh. And before we move on in the text, let that sit with you. Let Joseph's circumstance sit with you. Joseph is a slave. He will never see his father Jacob again. At least in his mind. He will never see his mother again. He will never return to the land of promise. Those dreams that he had, <laughs> they're only dreams at this point. Where is this God? Well,. Moses, the author of Genesis, tells us the Lord, God's personal covenantal name, Yahweh, was with Joseph. What? How is that possible? If the Lord was with Joseph, why was he sold into slavery by his brothers? Why is he a slave in Egypt? Why? 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 And at this point in the story, we don't know. You see, we tend to read the Bible through our experiences of maybe, you know, Sunday school or having read the scriptures in the past. If this is the first time you come to a story like this, you would be like those that Moses is first writing to the people of Israel who are reading this for the first time They've, been, they've heard the stories. They've, they know the background, but they're reading this for the first time. They're hearing it spoken to them. How do they know? They don't know what is going to happen. Joseph certainly doesn't know what is going to happen to him. All he knows is that he's a slave in Egypt, who will never see his father or his mother again. He will never step foot in the land that God had promised to his father, to his grandfather, to his great-grandfather. And not only are we told that the Lord was with Joseph once, but we're told five times in this passage the lord was with joseph over and over again the lord was ju- was with joseph pause there i want us to pause right here before we move on in the text Because I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that before God prospers Joseph, before we read of all the ways that God is with Joseph to see him flourish and be successful, the text says, In the midst of all the sin and evil, in the midst of being sent to a place where he will never leave, in the midst of the reality that he will never see his father and mother again, in the midst of all of this, the text says, The Lord was with Joseph. You see, we often move right past that. Before Joseph experiences any of the ways that God's presence with him manifests itself in being a successful man and all that he did succeeded, the favor that Joseph experienced, the blessings before all of that, in the midst of all the realities of his circumstances as a slave, The Lord was with him. And this is what we must first and foremost see in this passage. We often jump past this. We often see that the Lord was with Joseph, and we're like, look at all the blessings that God gives Joseph. But before any of that, the Lord is with Joseph. Yes, the Lord blesses him. Yes, the Lord brings all kinds of success. Yes, the Lord causes him to find favor in the eyes of Potiphar. All those things are true. And the Lord wants us to know that his presence brought those blessings to Joseph and Potiphar. But first and foremost, the Lord wants you and me to know that he was with Joseph when the you-know-what has hit the fan. He was with Joseph when everything seemed to be going as poorly and as awful as it could be when everything was lost. Yahweh, the Lord, was with Joseph. And so he is with you and me. No matter if you are experiencing the blessings of Joseph or, and more importantly, if you are experiencing the pain, sorrow, and broken dreams of Joseph, The Lord is with you. Do not miss this point. When life has fallen to pieces and it isn't turning out the way that you had hoped, that doesn't mean that God is against you. God is with you in Egypt, in bondage, and in the set of frustrating circumstances where you are experiencing the consequences of other people's sins against you, just as much as He is with you when everything seems to be going according to your plan. Did you notice that? According to your plan. He's with you. In both of those circumstances, But not only is it important for us to see that God is with Joseph before any blessing came to him, it is also equally important for us to see that that it is the Lord who blesses. It is the Lord who brings success. It is the Lord who causes Joseph and us to prosper. It is the Lord that allows our blessing to bless others. All of Scripture is clear about this. You see, we often like to think that it is due to our intelligence, our hard work, our instincts, whatever you like to tell yourself has brought this success in school and work and parenting, in my pastoral ministry. However we define success and whatever we believe got us there, it is clear that it is all from the hand of the Lord. Now, does this mean we don't use our intelligence or our strength for hard work or our instincts or our resiliency to accomplish what God has called us to in our work, our studies, our families, our relationships? Of course not. Those strengths, the the very gifts that God has given us, if we don't use those, it would actually be sinful. But we must first and foremost realize that all of those graces and giftings are from the Lord. And the Lord will use them to bless us and to bless others. We must always remember is that we, that what we have is a blessing from God, whether we have a lot or a little. It is a blessing, Scripture says. And when we experience success, favor, Blessing, it is not first and foremost of ourselves, but it is of the Lord. It is so easy for us to take pride in our accomplishments, for our station in life, for the status that we've obtained, for the work that we do, for the family we have raised, for the athletic accomplishments we've achieved, for artistic accomplishments, for everything in life. It is so easy for us to say to ourselves and sometimes to others, See what I have done. It's the same sinful nature, sinful desire that we see earlier in Genesis when the peoples of the earth build the Tower of Babel. See what I have done. See what I have accomplished. Isn't it marvelous without the slightest recognition that the Lord was with us, that the Lord was at work, that the Lord provided. You see, the lie we so easily believe and perpetrate, we say that it came from us. Now, of course, a good Christian would never say that. We might even acknowledge with our lips that this is the Lord has done. But in our hearts... We don't believe it. We don't live it. What we believe is how, what we believe and how we interact with the world around us is so informed by our lack of acknowledgement of God's providence in our lives. It's so informed by that lack of acknowledgement because we blame God when our plan doesn't work and we praise ourselves when it does. We tend to blame God when the plan doesn't work, and we praise ourselves when it does. Not only does it affect who gets the praise, but it also affects what I'll call the philosophies of our lives. Our philosophy of work, of education, politics, parenting, you name it, our act, lack of acknowledgement and heart belief that our blessings come from the Lord and not ourselves shapes all of that and so much more in our lives. It shapes how we view the poor, the widow, the single, the orphan. It shapes how we view the immigrant. This is why God instituted laws to care for these people. It's why God reminded His people that He didn't choose them because they were a great nation or because of anything that they could provide or do, they weren't of great number. They weren't a great people, but because He loved them. And so with us, He blesses us not out of our goodness or greatness or because we deserve it, but because He's with us. The Lord is with us, right? Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus with us, by the Holy Spirit with us. The Lord is with us, as he was with Joseph. And through the Lord being with Joseph, we begin to see that Joseph begins to embody the, the promise that God gave to Abraham of being a blessing to the nations. And when does it happen? Precisely in that situation of trial and loss in Joseph's life. Everything that Potiphar entrusted to him prospered for Joseph's sake, we read in Genesis 39.5. According to verse 3, Potiphar recognized what was going on. He saw that the Lord was with Joseph. He understood A pagan Egyptian understood what was going on in the life of Joseph. It was not because of how great Joseph was, but because of how great the God of Joseph is. And yet, the trials aren't over. Even worse, this twist that comes, right? We're reading the story and we're like, oh man, Joseph has got it all, right? (laughs) Joseph has, he even says, I'm as great as my master. Everything that my master owns is mine. Everything that is available to my master is mine except for his wife. He is on equal footing in all these ways with his master. But this twist comes not because of moral failure on Joseph's part, but of faithful obedience to God. What we would naturally say apparently caused Joseph's rise, his obedience, even though we see that God is with him even prior to blessing him, is also what has caused his fall. Do you feel the spiritual whiplash there? Do you feel that? Maybe you've experienced that in your own life that wait, I've I've been obedient. <laughs> Why is this happening? Joseph stands to, against temptation. He flees the temptation. He flees a, a, a temptation that's really hard to stand against. He flees the temptation that comes when someone in power over you tells you to deny your beliefs or suffer the consequences. Right? In this type of situation, it would be so easy for Joseph to rationalize and, to, and co- comply like this is the only viable option. It's easy and self-protective. And if I refuse, it's it's certainly going to have ne- negative repercussions. Which it does. How was Joseph able to withstand the temptation? I don't know about you, but we I we all f- fail in face of even much lesser temptations we maybe successfully say no the first time, the second time, the third time, but sooner or later, we're worn down. Satan continues to come back over and over again. Certainly, Joseph tried to avoid situations of temptation by not being alone with Potiphar's wife. But that merely deals with the external factors, not the heart. And however careful we are, sooner or later temptation will come at us in some form or another. Joseph's only defense against sin was a heart that wanted to please God more than to experience pleasure or to avoid pain. Right, The problem with temptation is that it's not our circumstances so much, but it is our hearts. Resisting sin will require more than simply staying at a distance from tempting situations. It requires a change in our hearts, which is something that we cannot do ourselves. We cannot simply decide to turn o- over a new leaf and stop sinning. We need to be given a new heart, With new desires. If there is one lesson learned from the experience of Israel, it is this having God's perfect law and a powerful experience of God's deliverance is not enough. It is the very presence of God that we need. And Joseph knows this presence but it doesn't keep him from experiencing unfair treatment and consequences. And this is the point, I think, where the second temptation that we miss often in this text comes. The first one is easy to see, right? A handsome young man, presumably a beautiful woman. We see the temptation there. That's an easy one. The second is harder. The temptation comes when Joseph is thrown into prison and not just thrown into prison for something that he deserved to be thrown into prison for, but thrown into prison for something that he did not do. He did not deserve to be treated in this way. The temptation to feel abandoned by the one who we're told is with him. God, we're told, is with Joseph prior to the blessings. He is with Joseph when he is unfairly treated and thrown into prison. God is with Joseph. And frankly, that can be the worst time for us to feel abandoned by God, to have that temptation that we have been abandoned. He had done the right thing. He had resisted temptation, but the Lord allows this great injustice to be done. Where is God when you really need Him? Often our obedience to God is not ultimately about honoring or pleasing or worshiping Him. It's often about trying to use God to get what we really want. Our hearts are revealed whenever God does not give us what we want. Our resentment reveals that we are really what we're really serving God for. It reveals our older brotherness, like the story of the prodigal son, right? We may have obeyed diligently without ever really loving the Father. Our obedience was actually about serving our own pride and furthering the image of ourselves as the righteous and obedient one, as the one who was prospering because we deserved it, because we made it happen. At this time, Joseph was left in prison with no answers to his questions. There in prison, however, in the depths of a situation that may have cast him into complete despair, again, Moses writes, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him, blessing and prospering everything he did and blessing others around him as well. There was no answer to his questions about the course of his life. Will he ever get out of prison? Will he ever be exonerated? There are no answers at this point except I am with you. And that is what God had promised all to Abraham. I am with you. That's what he promised to Isaac. I am with you. That's what he promised to Joseph's father Jacob. I am with you. And that's what Joseph experienced God's faithful presence with him in the dungeon, every bit as much as the moments of great success and triumph. You know, we often tend to think that God must have really loved Joseph because he was such a hero how he withstood temptation, how he held up under unfair treatment. And man, God must have really been disappointed with Judah because as we read last week, he is a loser. And we then begin to believe that about ourselves. God only loves us when we resist temptation. He only loves us when we obey perfectly. And He hates us. I'm going to use that word. He hates us when we sin. It's certainly true that God hates sin. He doesn't want to see His children sin. But what we see is central to the Joseph story is that God is with us. In our sin, in the sin that others have perpetrated against us, in the circumstances of life that look like everything is falling apart, in the circumstances of life where things seem to be going according to plan. And that God uses the things that he hates to accomplish goals that he loves. He is not just at work in and through Joseph, but in and through Judah as well. Ultimately, as we pointed out last week, the Messiah will come through the line of Judah. Jesus is acquainted with a prostitute and a sinner that was like no other. What was God doing in Joseph's life? His dreams were never simply about personal success and greatness of his family. They were about Joseph pointing us to the gospel a means by which God's promise to Abraham would ultimately come to reality. The Lord was with him, enabling him to be a blessing to the Egyptians in the midst of undeserved pain, betrayal, suffering, and temptation, not simply so that he could become an example for us to imitate, but so that he could be an example pointing forward to Jesus. Jesus was the only true righteous man, the only one who ever suffered entirely without fault of his own. He experienced far greater temptation than Joseph ever faced. We read about it earlier in Luke's gospel. Joseph may have resisted temptation in this situation, but Joseph, as we know, was not sinless. There were doubtless times when Joseph lost hope and gave in to self-pity or anger. There were likely times when Joseph did not say as he does at the end of the story, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Yet in the moments of faithfulness, Joseph points us beyond himself to Jesus. The purpose of this passage is not to get us to ask ourselves in the time of temptation, what would Joseph do? How can I be strong in this? Its purpose is to encourage us to look at what Jesus has done in our place. This truth gives us assurance and hope as we face the darkest hours of our own lives. We will likely suffer in this life. It's impossible to get through it without it. We may be tempted to believe that it means that God is angry with us or has abandoned us. But what we see is that nothing could be further from the truth. God has poured out all of His anger against our sin on Jesus. Which means that our present sufferings can only have a redemptive purpose. Teaching us to die to sin and bring others to see and know the God whom we've met in Jesus Christ. What is God up to? When is God with us? It's actually a great question. When we explore what God is up to in our lives and we discover that His good plan is not a plan for our ease and comfort, but rather a plan for our death and resurrection. Dying to sin and to our old self and raising to a new life in Him. He loves you and me too much to leave us unchanged. And as we see in Joseph's life, and we know from our own, this process is often hard and painful and the pathway along which we are called to walk may be confusing and disorienting. Yet along that pathway, Joseph found that the Lord was with him, even when he felt most abandoned and alone. In the light of Joseph's experience in Egypt, we too can discover that even when God's plan leads us into trials and temptation, he is with us. His grace is sufficient for us. When is God with us? All the time. And all the time, he is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story of the portion of Joseph's life. Lord, we pray that you would help us to know that truth. That you are with us. And whatever we are experiencing in this moment, whatever we've experienced in the past, whatever we experience in the future, you are with us. And you have promised that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, help us, help our hearts to truly believe that. Help us to hold on to that truth and reality. Help us to live in light of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.